So this passage is uh, after the lame man was, was healed. Sorry. What a great start. Um, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer, repent then and turn into God, turn to God rather so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may, be, may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And that was Acts 3, verses 11 to 20. And then following on in Acts 4, verses 5 to 20. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Thank you, Eloise. Good morning, everyone. Let's just pray together. Father God, we thank you that this is your holy word. We pray this morning that as we open it together, you would speak to us, open our hearts to what you have to say, that we may hear your voice, the voice of God, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the second in our series in the book of Acts called Game Changers, 
and we're looking to see how we can be better equipped to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to focus this morning on those last few words that Eloise wrote, uh, read. Peter said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, I don't know if you've ever come across somebody who is so excited that they can hardly get their words out. It happened to me when my young daughter, back in the 1980s, she was about seven years old, and I had just got, you may remember if you're of a certain age, the video camcorder. And everybody put it in your face and turned it on, and I did that to her, and she was seven years old, but she was returning from an adventure day. And that adventure day in Pembrokeshire was what they now call co-steering. It was scrambling along the bottom of cliffs, over rocks, and through the sea, dressed in a wetsuit. And she'd been on this adventure day with children who were much older than she was. And she came back, and she was so full of having been able to achieve it that she couldn't get her words out fast enough. She was literally breathless, and we were chuckling with laughter as we watched this. What an experience, and what a tale to tell. And Peter says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. My guess is that Peter and John were just about as excited as my daughter was at all that they had seen and heard. It was bubbling up inside them. They couldn't contain it. Just think for a minute at what they had experienced. They were the ones who had been chosen by God's Messiah to be his disciples. They were the ones who had witnessed not only his death, but his resurrection. They were the ones who at Pentecost had received the power of the Holy Spirit. They were the ones who, when they preached, thousands had come to salvation. And now... When they command in the name of Jesus, even this lame man can walk. How could they not speak about all that they had seen and heard? Peter in the next chapter says, we are witnesses of these things. They were telling what they had seen firsthand. It's not hearsay, it's not secondhand. You will know that if you watch a good uh, crime drama on telly, that hearsay is inadmissible as evidence. You can't use second-hand information. A witness has to have first-hand experience. Last week, Belinda and I were in the RSPB reserve of Ramsey Island in the west of Wales. And we saw this bird, which is on the photograph on the screen. Now, I'll be very surprised if anybody can recognize that. Well, the person who first saw it was a significant bird watcher, and she didn't recognize it, so she took a photograph of it, and she emailed it to a friend who was an even more fanatical bird watcher than she was. And the response she got back started, wow, that, he said, is a Canadian myrtle warbler. They're as rare as hen's teeth. I think there have only been a handful ever sighted in the UK. And I was there looking at it. Now, don't ask me how a bird, which is the size of a golf ball, a land bird, gets from Canada to West Wales. I have no idea. I'm not an expert. But she was so excited with this news that she ran back to the warden of the reserve and she told him what she'd seen. And we were there 
firsthand, watching this little bird rapaciously devouring all the grubs in the farmyard. The sighting was posted on social media, and a deluge of inquiries came in. You know what fanatical bird watchers are like, don't you? Where is it? How can I see it? How do I get there? Where do the boats go from? And we were witnesses. We were witnesses to the fact it was there. Now, though I'd seen it, I'm not an expert on birds by any stretch of the imagination. As we're on walks, Belinda can tell your reed warbler from your sedge warbler just by its song. Me? No chance. I'm no expert, but that day I was a witness. I could tell all those experts what this little bird looked like. I could tell them how it was flying, what it was eating, what its markings were. I wasn't an expert, but I was a witness. I'd seen it with my own eyes. And the disciples were first-hand witnesses. They were not the experts. The Pharisees were the experts, but they were witnesses. To be a witness is something very personal. No one else can be a witness for you. The disciples alone could speak of what they had seen and heard. And here's the nub of the issue. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to be God's witnesses, to witness to what we have experienced, to witness to what we have seen and heard. If you've had no experience, you can't be a witness. You can't tell what you haven't seen and what you don't know. There's no credibility, there's no authenticity. I love the old chorus, some of you may know it. The chorus says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. First-hand experience. I've just mentioned a rare Canadian bird, and it reminded me of a time when we were in eastern Canada visiting Nova Scotia. And if you translate the name Nova Scotia, it means New Scotland. And we, went, uh, we were in a place called Inverness in Nova Scotia, and it was on Cape Breton Island, and we went to a Gaelic sing-song. And the guy who was leading it was so full of enthusiasm. It was amazing. So full of enthusiasm for all things Scottish. We sang Gaelic songs. He talked us Gaelic phrases. He eulogised about Scotland, the scenery, the customs, the castles, the way of life. But the odd thing was, when at the end I asked him which his favourite part of Scotland was, he sheepishly admitted he'd never been. <laughs> he knew the songs, he spoke the language, he spent his whole life talking about something he'd never seen for himself. To be a witness, we need first-hand experience. People can spot authenticity. You know, you and I can tell if something is real. People can tell if our experience is real. When God comes alive in us, then our witness comes alive. And it's our personal experience to God which gives authenticity to our story. And it's our passion of knowing the truth for ourselves which is so compelling when we are a witness. And that's why people look more at what we do than what we say, because actions speak of authenticity. When I was a, a young boy, I guess I was aged barely seven years old, we as a family were on holiday 
in the west of Ireland in a remote and deserted place. And I was sitting one morning on a harbour wall. I was the only person there, little fishing uh, hamlet. And I was approached by an elderly man, a local. I won't try and uh, imitate his accent, but he asked me where I came from. Uh, London, I said. Oh, he said, I used to live in London. Where in London do you live, he asked. I, well, I live in Blackheath. Oh, I used to live in Blackheath, he said. <laughs> Where in Blackheath do you live? Uh, Manaway, I said hesitantly. Oh, I used to live in Manaway, he said. <laughs> now, a scruffy old Irishman who looked like he'd never left his village, talking to a seven-year-old boy, in this day and age, we'd be a bit suspicious, and I don't think I was really all that comfortable. However, I did have the presence of mind to ask him a question. So I turned the tables. I said, well, where in Manaway did you live? Number 51, he said. Now, was that just a lucky guess? But what he said next changed the whole story. Yes, number 51, he said, on the corner of Fox's Dale. Now, that was the road in the middle of Manaway. Then he said it was three houses down from the house that was destroyed by the V2 bomb in the Second World War. That was true too. So what had seemed incredible and unlikely to me, or even far-fetched, now had a big ring of truth about it. When God works, there's something authentic about what we experience and about what is seen. It might seem incredible, but it rings true. That's why Peter could not help speaking about what he'd seen and heard. It might have been incredible, but it doesn't mean it wasn't authentic. It doesn't mean it wasn't true. And in verse 16, the religious leaders asked themselves, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. What had happened was incredible but it was authentic. And when God works, it leads to a sense of astonishment. Listen, twice in this passage, we hear of astonished people. In chapter 3 and verse 11, we read after the healing, all the people were astonished and came running. And then in chapter 4 and verse 11, the religious leaders were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Have you ever been astonished at what God has done. I remember getting a text message from somebody who's in this church. And the text message said, wow, that's astonishing. That can only be of God. He and I had been talking the previous evening. And we'd been speaking how sometimes it's quite difficult for us to connect with God. And I'd given him a challenge. And I had said, well, why don't you, for the next seven mornings, for the next week, First thing was you wake up, connect with God. Just spend a few minutes connecting with God. And I said, if you commit to do that, I'll commit every morning at the same time to pray for you. So next morning I thought, well, I better be as good as my word. So I texted him and I said, I just want to let you know that I've been praying for you. And I'm praying Psalm 46, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The response was immediate. Wow, that's astonishing. That can only be of God. 
He said, last night, after you left, God told me to learn that very psalm off by heart, which I did. All the people were astonished. When God works in our hearts, there is astonishment. I've told you a few stories this morning, but what's your story? What have you witnessed? What's your authentic experience of God? Have you been astonished by him? Before you can witness, you need that experience of God for yourself. We need to follow the same road that Peter had followed. Do you remember those three years before Peter had answered that call? He'd answered the call of God and he had got to know this Jesus. He'd failed, but he wasn't defeated by his failures. Then on Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he boldly stepped out in faith. That's the path for every Christian. It's a journey we must all take. We're never too young and we're never too old. God has called us to be living proof of his saving love. There's that TV series, isn't there, called Silent Witness. But that's not for us. We're not to be a silent witness. That's not God's purpose for us. Peter had spent time in the shadows, round the fire, keeping out of the way. But now he is empowered and emboldened He is now the rock on which Christ is building his church. That's God's calling for you and for me. In his commentary on Friday's daily readings, Peter quotes Job 42 and verse 5. When I say Peter, that's St. Peter Misselbrook. (laughs) Job says, "My My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And Peter comments, the most important question for us is, do we know God? We may have listened to many other people talking about God. We may have read the Bible and tried to understand what it says about God, but none of this is enough. Do we know God? This morning, it's time for an honest appraisal. Is our knowledge of God first-hand, or is it second-hand? Is our experience of God authentic? Do we know him? God is here for us this morning. He's calling you. Will you answer his call? Will you leave all those things that hold you back, the things that create a barrier between you and God, will you let those go? And will you make him your priority? Will you invite him in, as Peter had done? Will you make Jesus a real experience in your life? Will he become real, authentic, and personal to you? God is calling you to come home and to stand up. Notice verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled men, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. May that be true of us this week. May people take note 
that we have been with Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. In the honesty of our own hearts, where no one but Jesus and us know the truth, God asks us, do you know me? He calls you this morning to open your heart as you've never opened it before and open it to him, to let him in, to let him change you, to let him be the one and only one in your heart. Let your heart become his home. Let's pray. Father, we realize the impossibility of being your witnesses without seeing and knowing you for ourselves. Father, I open my heart to you. I invite you in. I cast aside all that represents rebellion against you. I want to be enveloped in your saving love. I want to be made whole again. I want to be astonished by your presence, free from fear, assured of my future. And I want the world to know what you've done for me. Father God, give me courage. Give me love. Give me words so I cannot but help speaking about what I have seen and heard. For the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen.